This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You are listening to The Mauer Report, a live radio show that ventures into the mysteries of life, as well as the hot topics of the day, either political or business. I want to thank everybody for joining us this evening. I, my guest tonight is Christian Espizoda. Oh, wait, before we begin, go over to Mallor.com slash restaurants, uh, help Andrew Gold and his... Uh, Helping restaurant workers during COVID. I mean, I know we're kind of on the backside of all that, but some people still are in a mess because of all that. So we're trying to help his uh, 86 uh, hunger or 86 rest, 86 struggle. There we go. I had that wrote down, but I didn't have it in front of me. That's always good. So we're uh, last night for that, and then we'll be off and running with somebody else here in April, but we're there in April. I guess it's still March here. But anyways, so we'll go over and check that out. Um, I'm excited to see what he's been doing, what we're going to do here for that as well. April, man, April already. Anyways, we got some fun stuff happening in April, but tonight, Christian Espinzota joins us, the author of The Smartest Person in the Room, The Root Cause, and The New Solution for Cybersecurity. Christian, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you doing today? Pretty good. So, I thought I thought the old policy was, don't be the smartest person in the room. That's correct. And that's kind of the interesting thing about the book, it it's titled The Smartest Person in the Room, but it, it is the root cause of the challenges we're having in cybersecurity. And, and not just cybersecurity, but a lot of things in, in, in life in general, relationships, uh, other industries, you know, a lot of other endeavors. So, yeah, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room, and that's really what the book is about, how, how to put your ego aside and, and, and connect with people at a different level and stop posturing and and trying to be significant by being the smartest person in the room. I, I caught an interview with you. I want to say with a station in Nashville, but that might be not right. And you were talking about how the, the IT gap between the IT professional and the end user, or I guess, yeah, the end user, often is so broad because the IT person assumes a lot of things, and then when they actually try to help the person, they talk so, I guess, so down to the person that it frustrates the end user to the point of not understanding or not caring about the actual product. Am I, am I putting words in your mouth or is that what kind of where you were headed? That's correct. That's uh, a common issue and it's, it's been tolerated in my opinion uh, in our industry and IT with engineers uh, for quite some time. I, we even make fun of it on TV shows and things. Um, but the reality is if, if I'm the IT person or cybersecurity person or anybody with, with specific knowledge and I don't communicate that knowledge in a way that it's understood, then I'm not really serving, you know, the person I'm, I'm communicating with. I'm a big proponent of uh, the NLP, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and one of the um, presuppositions in there is that the, the meaning of communication is the response you get. So we tend to go through life, you know, communicating and getting frustrated with the other person because they're not doing what we're asking or understanding what we're saying. But really, that is our problem, and we need to take ownership of that, turn the mirror towards us, and uh, address it internally. Yeah, because, I mean, I guess I'll just speak for myself here. You know, this is going to be awkward at best, but I assume since we, you know, places have an IT professional I can just do what I need to, you know, think I need to do, and they can handle my mess, which isn't true, but I guess without proper understanding of what they need me to do, that's where the mess becomes a real mess. That's right, and the IT professional, I mean, everybody wants to feel, you know, appreciated and understood, and, and you know, in, in, in IT, it's a difficult position because, 
you know, you get blamed for a lot of things that go wrong and you rarely get like a, a pat on the back or, or <laughs> any praise. So it is a challenging position that those challenges can be uh, remedied or minimized though. If, if there's better communication skills from the IT staff, uh, I mean, it's no different than going to your doctor. If you go to a doctor and they tell you a course of treatment and you don't understand the treatment and your health gets worse, uh, that's the doctor's fault for not communicating that properly to you. Uh, so it's the same thing with IT and cybersecurity. So, Chris, it's just me and you right now. What's the secret to making printers work? <laughs> <laughs> don't use them. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've, I've got problems with printer. I have a printer here. I was trying to print out a picture. Uh, and it puts a line to the middle of the picture every time. So I'm like, I had to finally go to like a Walgreens to get the picture printed out there. It's kind of embarrassing. I got this fancy printer, but I can't even make it print right. <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I, we were laughing about that, but that, that just irritates me to no end because you know it should work. It worked yesterday. It doesn't work today. <laughs> so cybersecurity, I mean, we kind of know that hacking is kind of one of the issues, but what are some of the other issues in that arena that people may not pay attention to? Well, hacking is, you know, one of the issues. And I think a lot of people have this idea that with hacking, it's, you know, a cyber criminal or a person, like, typing away in real time while they're trying to attack you. Uh, and that's really, you know, not what's going on. I mean, that, that, that does happen, but most of it is, uh, the attackers are very good. They're criminals and they're very good business people. They write programs and, and bots and, and scripts and things that go out there and do the attacking for them. So a lot of the time, you know, when you're getting an attack, it's, it's an automated system that's attacking you uh, until maybe it gets to a specific point and then somebody manually takes it over. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not just the, the criminals that are, are causing problems. You know, some of our own the good guys, our own internal staff, are contributing to the the, the problems as well. Uh, you know, somebody accidentally sends um, your sensitive data to a, a you know from one customer to another one, for instance. You know that that's that's not a criminal. That's someone just making a mistake. And we we often think you know it's always the hackers, but a lot of the time it's just people making uh, legitimate mistakes and sending uh, a mislabeled document to the wrong person, for instance. Yeah, and I, I was, like I said, I was listening to you a little bit this afternoon, and you were talking about passwords. I mean, I think we've all heard this before, right, that we should have different passwords and all this other <clears> stuff. <throat> but here it is, 2021, and we're still having to talk about this. But it is something to talk about because it's the easiest a access point. Yeah, passwords is a, a controversial issue, uh, and, and we've – done an injustice to the industry by making people use complex passwords, you know, an uppercase, lowercase, special character and a number and all this other garbage. Um, there's really no need for that. It, it just needs to be a long password and it's okay if it's like all lowercase letters. The longer the password is, the better. Uh, I mean, obviously you shouldn't use your name or your pet's name, but if you use a phrase that, um, you know, like I love um, Norway in the winter time. You know that that's a phrase. It could be all lower, lowercase, uh, and it's easy to remember. And it's a, it's a relatively difficult password to crack. It is a very very difficult password to crack because it's so long. So we get we've we've created a lot, and, and this is true with the industry and in, 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 on a number of fronts. If we created problems by not really understanding the risk, and in this scenario with passwords. You know, the, the risk isn't the complexity of the password, it's the length of the password. So we can remove the complexity requirements and make longer passwords. And then I, I think in the discussion you overheard, uh, I recommend using like a password manager, like 1Password or LastPass. So it will automatically generate the passwords for you and store them so you don't have to remember all the passwords. Uh, and you know, one of the things you want to avoid is using the same password on, on multiple systems. Because a lot of people, I think the stat is like almost 50% uh, of people use the same password in every system. So if an attacker 
is able to get the password from, let's say, your Facebook account, and you use that same password on you know 17 other ac accounts you have, uh, and the username is typically the email address, now the password can get into all your other accounts, including your email. And if I can get into your email, it's basically game over, because if I have access to your email, then I can just go you know, reset all your passwords and get the password reset link sent to your email account. Uh, so that's really the, uh, the, the ideal place for an attacker to get is access to your email. So you definitely want to make sure that is secure. That is... I, I was thinking about the 8 thing, because if you're trying to program the 8, even with the special characters, because I'm looking, there's, what, another dozen of those or so. So that ups it from 26 letters, will double that to alpha, uh, lowercase and uppercase to so 52. Another dub uh -huh. numbers and symbols. We're only looking at 70 characters-ish. I don't know. There's probably an actual number, but over 8. Over 8, that's... Well, it seems like a lot, but if you're programming it out to run all those different variants, it's not nearly as many as you like. You love Norway in winter. That's a lot of letters. So as you expand right. out, that becomes more and more more depth, which I hadn't thought of before. So yeah, it's purely based on the the length of the password, not the the special characters. So if I guess and the it, and, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say that the thing that is a little bit misunderstood uh, is we think a complex password that's eight characters with special, you know, characters and and numbers and uppercase, lowercase is secure. But what a lot of people also do is they'll use a word but replace letters with with numbers and special characters. So instead of like baseball being like you know B A S E B A L L, they'll do capital B, the at sign, S, 3, B, you know, A, then exclamation point, exclamation point, or something like that. Uh, so it, it, it meets the complexity requirements, but it's actually just baseball changed. And the attackers already know that, so they can literally crack those passwords in like one second because they just run, uh, run them all through a dictionary, and all those words are in that dictionary to help crack the password. All these variations of, of uh, common things people do. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so the two, the when they send you a text message, it's all obviously helpful to protect your accounts, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. If you can, you should use uh, whenever possible two-factor authentication. So uh, you log in, you know, with a password, a username, as well as a text message or some sort of authenticator as well. That way, if your username and password is compromised, it doesn't matter. The person would also have to compromise your phone or your alternate authentication method. Yeah. So, question from Germantown Runner, who I'm mad we appreciate for this question because, well, I'm just going to read it to you and you'll understand why here in a second. Can we be cyber-bombed back into the 19th century? Can we can we do what? What was the question? Again? Can we be cyber bombed back into the nineteenth century? Cyber bombed back in the nineteenth century. Uh, the, I don't know about back to the nineteenth century, but we we certainly can. Uh, you know, there's a I don't know if cyber bomb is the right term, but there are you know the EMPs, electromagnetic pulses, that are supposed to take out most digital systems. And we've come to a scenario where almost everything is digital. So if there's a big enough EMP that goes off, then uh, we could effectively render, you know, a city's electrical grid uh, useless. A lot of the cars, uh, you know, there's there's very few analog things anymore. So, yeah, it is possible to, you know, with an EMP take out a lot of things, as well as just with cyber warfare. So... Uh, we've seen a few glimpses of this where an attacker, like with Stuxnet, is able to uh, affect like the speed a centrifuge is spinning uh, that's, that's responsible for uh, nuclear material enrichment. So that same tactic can be used for an actual nuclear facility, an electrical grid, uh, you know, the public transportation system. So we can cause a lot of havoc and I think shut a lot of things down uh, where yeah, we could, I don't know if it'd be back to the 19th century, but we could certainly reset a lot of things 
uh, in a in a in a very menacing manner if if somebody wants to do it. And we've seen glimpses of this too, uh, like in the Northeast. Several years back, uh, there was an attack, uh, or glitch, as they called it, that took out the power in the middle of winter uh, for several cities for several days. Uh, and uh, quite a few people died because they froze to death, basically. So there's a lot of, you know, and I did scenario planning uh, for the Department of Defense for a while, and there's a lot of things that can be done that, um, and coordinated that are pretty um, scary, actually. So I'm, I'm assuming you're you're throwing those ideas out there, and that somebody's working on preventing them. Hopefully, we are certainly working on preventing attacks to you know critical infrastructure uh, and things like that. I'm not confident that the work that we are doing is is going to prevent anything. No, and the work we've been doing so far, uh, you know, I'm not to be a, a dooms. <laughs> but the work we've been doing so far hasn't prevented much. We hear of a new data breach every single day, basically. And just when we think, you know, there can't be a bigger one, there's a bigger one. So the, the tactics we're using are not working. And that's, you know, that's partly uh, why I wrote my book, is to address the problem in cybersecurity from a different perspective, from the perspective of, you know, people and, and working better, uh, having our highly technical people work better together as well as, you know, with their leadership and being able to communicate better. That That's the root issue, I believe. It's not the technology. It's not the, you know, lack of smart people. It's not the lack of frameworks. It's, it's the actual people that are super smart don't have the EQ skills or the people skills to help convey their message or to um, get the funding they need or to really address the problem. Yeah, I was going to say, it's um, not a problem until it's a problem, right? That's probably the problem with all this. <laughs> Saying problem enough will, will make this question easier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is very true. It's not a problem until it's a problem, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is the mindset. <laughs> well, I, I also was going to throw this line at you about the, how, how technology has always been a problem because the Mayans had a problem. Their calendar ran out in 2012, and we're still here, so... <laughs> yeah. So that's true. So tell me, you're you're a busy guy, obviously writing the book. Um, talk to me about Alpine Security for a minute. What do you What do you do? I mean, obviously you founded that, but what does that do day to day? I guess is my first question here. I founded Alpine Security in 2014, uh, and I actually sold it to Cerberus Sentinel uh, in 2020, uh, December uh, in 2020. I started it to to do something different in cybersecurity. I didn't want to be part of the status quo. Uh, I wanted to challenge the industry and try to elevate standards and actually make uh, organizations more secure. So a couple of the things I focused on uh, with the company, and we still do these, uh, is like medical device uh, penetration testing, which is ethical hacking. Uh, medical devices are one of those things that's like a ticking time bomb. Nobody really thinks about it, but there are you know, thousands and thousands of medical devices out there, and the average hospital bed has like 14 of these things connected to the bed. So an attacker now uh, can not only uh, you know, just deface a website, which is like what, what a lot of people think, you know, it's like someone's going to deface the website or steal my credit card information or my identity, it's like, you know, who cares about that? The real threat, in my opinion, is the stuff we've been talking about, the critical infrastructure, but also medical devices. And and, and I and I started the comp- company because I, I, I don't want our advances in healthcare uh, to be stifled by cyber criminals. So an example is like a drug infusion pump that's connected to like, let's say my grandmother it has a problem is and is on a morphine drip because she's in pain. So if somebody attacks that drug infusion pump or an automatic attack hits it and increases the flow rate, you know, that can actually uh, cause my grandmother to OD on morphine and kill her. So we're, we're crossing the line between just, you know, attacking a computer to actually being able to affect uh, life uh, in, in, at a level that uh, is pretty catastrophic. And, and that's, that's one of the things we really focused on. Uh, because I, 
you know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't want the advances in healthcare to be um, set back by the cyber criminals. And we've seen this even with hospitals, a ransomware attack, which seems is relatively common. But if an ambulance delivers a heart attack victim to a hospital and the hospital can't intake that victim, uh, the patient, because all their systems have ransomware on them, and they have to do it manually, that three more minutes it took them to manually get that person in process, in that three minutes' time they could die. And there's been many studies that have shown this. So we, we, we focus on that, and we've also uh, focused on helping small businesses uh, mature their cybersecurity programs. Because when I started my business, it, it's, a, it's a very difficult road to grow a business and to you know, keep it successful and keep the lights on and keep it all running. And a cyber attack uh, can, can take a small business out of business. Because if a small business has customer records and they're stolen, that small business has to pay credit monitoring for every record stolen. And those credit monitoring fees alone uh, have taken many small businesses out of business. And, it, and you know, I did not want that to happen either. So those are like two areas that I really am passionate about, um, you know, keeping medical devices safe and keeping small businesses safe. I mean, there's, there's other things too, but those are two things that I'm very passionate about. And that leads me to one of the questions I had on my, uh, my notes to ask you about, which is, I mean, we're kind of on the uphill side of COVID. I think we're starting to come back to normal a little bit. But here for the last 12 months, uh, a lot more people have been working from home with more information being on the, the interwebs than ever before. So were we? Pre- I, I know we weren't prepared for that, but are we, are we going to be more prepared for more people working from home? Because I, I imagined some people are just going to be working from home forever now. Uh, working from home is, is problematic with, and, and I think a lot of people weren't prepared to work from home with my company. We had been working from home since uh, 2015 or since we started really in 2014. So, but it was a it was a journey. We you know we had a lot of things in place to make sure we were secure. Our, our client data was secure. We had a lot of policies. And from my experience, a lot of organizations are just sort of making it work with people working from home, uh, and it's it's not working from a security perspective. I mean, if you have you know uh, your personal laptop and you're doing work on it and you're your teenage daughter has access to that same laptop and installs software on there, uh, then, you know, that software could be malicious and could steal your work data that's on that laptop. So there's a lot of things that people haven't really thought of. And even your lo- your home network, uh, if it's not secure and there's an intruder on your home network or on your, you know, your television or one of your IoT devices, could be a thermostat, your camera, whatever you have that's connected to your home network, those vulnerabilities and intruders can now get into your work network if your laptop is VPN in your work environment, for instance. So we've sort of extended corporate environments, you know, from a secure kind of like perimeter to unsecure environments uh, at people's homes. And, and there's a, there's been many, many uh, situations that have resulted in uh, exploits and uh, breaches because of it. Yeah, and, and this leads me to another question here. Um, thinking about the big cloud providers like Amazon, AWS, um, and all this other stuff, is the biggest threat to them from somebody from the outside or somebody from the inside? Uh, it's 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 both. Uh, typically, what a lot of people don't understand is if I, let's say I decide to move my stuff to Amazon, AWS, Azure, or Google, they're providing the platform for my environment, but I still have to secure the environment. So that you know, the cloud providers like to market themselves as secure clouds. Uh, that just means like their infrastructure is secure, but if you set up like a web application on the cloud, it's really up to you to secure that web application. Or if you add storage to your application, like a you know, not to get too technical, but an Amazon like S3 bucket, 
if you don't set that up correctly and misconfigure it, then an attacker can can find it with the right tools and steal all the data out of it. And this has happened, you know, many many times. So the the cloud providers themselves, I think, you know, there is an insider threat. There, they do have their own internal infrastructure. Uh, and we don't hear about many incidents there. We typically hear about the people that have used a cloud provider and didn't set it up properly and were uh, compromised that way. Yeah, it is interesting, though. That, I mean, you, I mean, obviously, at some point, there might be an issue. But I don't know. We'll just hope, or we're just going to hopefully not. Of course, that that's why you back up everything locally, too. Anyways, not to get too, <laughs> too nerdy on anything. <laughs> um, was I gonna? I had something else I was gonna ask you about all that, and that just kind of alluded to me. Um, so while we're, we're we're okay, wait, let's do this. Where can where can people find the book and find you before I forget? Yeah, they can find my book, "The Smartest Person in the Room." It's on Amazon. And they can find me on my website. It's ChristianEspinoza.com. Which, by the way, is a sharp-looking website. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm all, uh, you know, people that have listened to the show for a while know that I see a website and I go, I need to copy that. Well, this is probably one of those ones that I affect that, and then I, I try to do it and realize that it just never works out that well. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of time and effort you know? oh yeah, well, it, yeah. T- it takes a lot of effort to do a bad website too <laughs> it, it does <laughs> yeah I've, I've, I've made many bad websites myself and it's taken uh, as much as you want to make it look better it, if it starts out bad it doesn't get that much better typically <laughs> I was going to say and then you, you look at it and you think oh that looks good right and then you close it and you open up it on your phone and you go what the world was that? <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a real test. If it, if it looks all crazy on the phone, <laughs> I made that mistake before too. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so now I wanted to shift gears a little bit. So that was my spoof transition to this other the topic that I was telling you about earlier. You have this listed in your Twitter bio, which you know I'm not exactly sure how great this is of, as a topic to talk about, but I, I got the feeling because we talked a little bit about it before we started. That it's going to be something we're going to we, we're going to be okay with, and that is uh, you're being a monotasker, which does not make sense to me because I told you that I've bounced back and forth through the years of trying to be the one guy on the one trade and the guy trying to do twelve things at once. As of late, I've been the guy doing one thing, so I kind of agree with you on this. But why why do you think it works? Two two main reasons. Uh, one. Is from my, you know, I guess, is my own experience with 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 monotasking versus multitasking, because I I had heard of monotasking before, uh, and when I started doing it, because because I thought, well, there's, it's not going to work, you know, because I, I we've been brainwashed to think multitasking is what we should do. We've been brainwashed to instantly respond to text messages, emails, phone calls. And all this garbage, uh, and I and I had fallen into that brainwashing, and then I realized though that I was very busy, and I wasn't, but I wasn't very productive. You know, at the end of every day, I, there's a lot of activity, but not a lot of progress. So when, then I, when I really started looking at my productivity, uh, that's when I started doing monotasking, and I would divide my day up into blocks of time, and only do one thing during that block of time. So if I need to uh, write a proposal or something, I would do it between 9 and 10 a.m. And that means if somebody texts me, if somebody calls me, if, it, it didn't matter. I, I, I didn't respond to any of that. So based on my own experience, uh, my productivity uh, dramatically increased. And I mean, that was how I was able to write the book. Uh, because if you're constantly, you know, bouncing, you know, to an email and then back to like a, a paper you're writing or a book you're writing, you lose your track of thought, your train of thought, and that bouncing back and forth is called context switching, and it's really not effective for your brain. It's hard to be in a flow state or have ideas flow or, or do anything uh, efficiently or productively if you're switching back and forth. So from my own experience, 
my and my team's experience at Alpine Security, our productivity uh, greatly increased when we uh, started monotasking. And it's not just productivity; it's also stress. Um, just the past last week, last week was I, I found myself multitasking for some reason, and it was stressing me out because I was like, I got to do this email, I got to do this stuff. So I was trying to do like everything at once. And it was really causing me a lot of stress. So I, I and, but I had the awareness to think, wait a minute, I'm not monotasking, I'm multitasking. So this is not working, and it's causing me stress. So when I switched over to monotasking, my stress went away. Uh, so and the other the other reason it works is, and I talk about this in the book as well, is with communication. If you are monotasking when you're talking to somebody, you're going to be present. Uh, which means your communication is going to be much more effective. A lot of us have extreme difficulty listening when somebody's talking to us because we're either thinking about something else or we're checking a text message on our phone, we're reading the email. So we're not actually listening to what somebody's saying because our mind is elsewhere, which is is not good for building rapport. It's not good for... Uh, you know, build, having an effective conversation is not good for relationship, uh, and it and it it causes a lot of things to be missed, and it causes frustration. A lot of people don't even vocalize. So yeah, those are a couple reasons, and in both in both of those, you know, from my own experience, uh, even with the you know conversations and being present, uh, have greatly enhanced my communication skills. They're not perfect by no means, but when I'm listening intently by monotasking. I'm listening for insight, not just what's being said, but what's not being said, which helps me communicate better. So do you, you, you said you had a block to write that proposal. Do you set a, a agenda, I guess, for the lack of a better word, for your day, or do you kind of just go, what's next? I set an agenda for my day. So in the morning, I plan out my day. I, I, I try to get my, my top three uh, critical things done. Uh, and if I get those done, I feel pretty good. I mean, I have a list longer than the top three, but the reality is you can't do everything. So when I plan out the day, I will write blocks of time on my calendar, and I have those in Outlook as well, so somebody can't schedule a meeting with me between, like, say, 9 and 10, uh, because during that time, I'm checking email, for instance, uh, between, like, uh, and then I take a, usually, like, a five-minute break between the the blocks, but then the next time block, uh, you know, let's say uh, 11 to 12, I might be uh, doing a podcast or something, right? But that's all I'm doing. Uh, and then the whole day, though, is planned out that way. So I've got, you know, blocks of time. I have a block of time for lunch, a block of time for working out. Um, but it's, it's strategically set up that way because if you just sort of wing it or or, or try to, like, handle priorities as they come in and don't like set your intention for the day. Uh, you're going to be busy, uh, but not productive. And you'll, and you'll ultimately be, as a friend of mine said once, um, playing a role in somebody else's movie versus being the star in your own. Ooh, that's good. I like that. That's, um, you left me speechless there, which isn't a good thing for this show. <laughs> no, okay, so you talk about this working out thing for a minute. You, you've done the Ironman, what is it, 21, 22 times? Yeah, I completed 22 Ironman triathlons, yes. Are you insane or... <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people would probably say I'm insane, yes, because it's... Uh, uh, an Iron Man is uh is it's it's extremely painful and uh, and it's a very it's a very mentally challenging event as well. Uh, I'm not like super fast. Uh, I, I I usually take like twelve to thir- you know twelve to fourteen hours, and I'm a bigger guy. I'm like a, you know my fittest. I'm around like two two hundred and ten pounds, and most Ironman triathletes are like one hundred and sixty. So it's a it's a long uh, challenging day for me, but. Going through an Ironman and, and, and the emotional roller coaster you go through, it is uh, it's very 
it's very um, awakening uh, for your soul. It, it really like makes you dig deep because you know some Iron Man, I just feel like quitting, uh, and then like ten minutes later, if you can get through that that stage where you feel like quitting, ten minutes later you feel great. You know, so it's like this weird compressed journey of life, all in like you know fourteen hours, and you're going through the same journey with you know two thousand other people on the course. So it's a it's a shared journey that's uh, it's it's very um, enlightening in a way as well. So, which part of that is the biggest struggle for you? The running, the biking, the swimming. The biggest struggle is always the run for me because uh, it's last. The swimming, not a big deal for me. The bike depends on the course, uh, but yeah, it's the run because it's the last thing and. Um, I've always got some sort of a <laughs> some sort of issue going on. It seems like, like there was one race I um, uh, I was with a friend of mine and and we were like at Walgreens the night before and for some reason we decided to get like a five hour energy drink. We thought, well, this will help during the race. So I tried it like midway through the run, and it caused me to like have cold sweats and I was like in the field position, laying on the side of the of the course, uh, vomiting. So, <laughs> so it wasn't a good idea. There, you, the rule of thumb is you're never supposed to try something new the day of a race, and I've, I've broken that rule a few times, and that was one of them. Well, I'm, I'm, I was, you know, actually, I, I scribbled down when we started talking about this because I wasn't necessarily going to go here, but we're kind of here, and I'm interested now. What I mean, what do you do per, to, the night before to prepare besides uh, make bad decisions? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're not supposed to do. Oh, yeah. uh, you, just yeah, just uh, try to get some decent sleep the night before. There's not it, at that point. It's too late to to do anything really, uh, other than you know try not to eat something too crazy, uh, so your stomach's not messed up the whole next day, which could be a uh, make for a long day. And try to stay hydrated and try to get some decent sleep. That's really about it. <laughs> yeah, that's the, obviously the good the, the truth because obviously you're not waking up the next morning no matter what you ate the night before and doing this unless you've trained for probably years to get to that point yeah exactly <laughs> so I'm, I'm still <laughs> laughing about the five hour energy <laughs> <laughs> yeah I made a lot of mistakes you know <laughs> part, of the, part of the journey <laughs> what sounds like a good idea at the moment uh, the next you know it's, it's not a good idea later on sometimes <laughs> You know, I've I even had friends like go go out for an ice cream the night before an Ironman, and resulted in some, uh, <laughs> some, 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 some painful and embarrassing uh, uh, time the next day. So, yeah. <laughs> no, see, I, I'm also thinking. I had a friend once who thought it'd be great idea to get me some of those uh, trucker caffeine pills so we could stay awake. Oh yeah. Probably the best night's sleep I've ever got. Like that was really? so so the opposite and yeah, effect. It was ridiculous. Yeah, you so. never know how the stuff's going to affect you. <laughs> yeah, that was that was um, well. Hey, like I said, maybe I need some more of those. No, wait, no, never mind. Can't go. <laughs> so, okay, so you're talking about this leadership gap between the IT people and the people below, but there's also got to be, as the founder of a company, even though it's in that arena, you're probably going to see where I'm headed with that gap up too, because as a CEO level person, we, we, they assume that is being taken care of and don't necessarily want to know the nuts and bolts of it either. So it goes both ways, right? Yes. So leader, leader, you mean leadership, uh, you know, as a, as a executive in my company now as a CEO and, you know, I've had various roles in my whole career. The most important aspect of leadership, which a lot of people forget, is self-leadership. If you can't lead yourself and control your emotions and set the example, uh, it doesn't matter, you know, what position of authority you have, you're not going to be effective. Uh, And I think most organizations, and I'm a believer in this, uh, are a reflection of the leader. So if the leader doesn't have their act together, it's going to be reflected in the organizational culture as well. And that was something with my journey at Alpine Security, uh, I, I, I came to terms with, not just from a leadership perspective, but from a growth perspective as well. I've always had the belief that, you know, my business 
and the people that work for me are a reflection of me. And if I am not at the state I need to be in, then the business is not going to be at the state it needs to be in. And my people are not going to be the state they need to be in because that's going to just emanate from me and affect everything that I touch. So I'm a big believer in leading yourself um, and working on yourself before you you know, certainly try to work on anybody else. Which is probably, I think we kind of reflected on this earlier, as I say the word reflect, because I'm going somewhere with that. As, because it's hard to think it's your fault. I'll, I'll be the first one to admit that. It's always somebody else's fault. So you've got to reflect and understand that. And then being a leader of other people, it's always somebody. I mean, here I am blaming other people again. It's always somebody else's fault. So that self-awareness and that self-work, that is the probably the hardest thing that no matter what the line of work is that people should be doing. Yeah, you have to ask yourself, if I'm going through my day and, and saying something else is somebody else's fault, uh, how is that serving you? So... I talked about NLP or neuro-linguistic programming a little bit, uh, and I talk about it in the book quite a bit. There's a concept cause, uh, called cause and effect, and there's an equation we like to reference where you want C to be greater than E. So you want the cause, you, to be greater than the effect. Uh, if, and a lot of people, you basically want to be living at cause, and that means you realize and you take ownership that you're the cause of everything around you. Uh, if you're living on the, you know, if your E is greater than your C, then you think you're living at the effect of everything and everything else is the cause. But if you have the belief that you're the cause of everything around you, then you can do something about it. You can do something to influence the situation. A lot of people don't want to look at it, look at it from that perspective and they go through life hoping that something else will change without realizing that nothing is going to change unless they change because they are causing what's going on around them. It's really, it's really that simple. Yeah, so I, I caught this off your website. I scribbled it in the margins earlier. I think it's a good – well, we've got uh, 17 minutes left, so – you have the three categories to live life by, and I think we're kind of at that point where maybe this will work. What are they? The three categories to live life by. I have that on my website. I thought you did. Maybe. I... Or did I scribble that hmm. down from somewhere else? <laughs> That's not good. I scribbled that down. Well, there, 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 there are you... three categories. Like, you know, there, there's, there's multiple categories. I'm just trying to remember the context. So, uh... <laughs> I'm a certified high-performance coach, and there's three categories we talk about in coaching. There's a caged life, a comfortable life, and a charged life. And a, a caged life is where you, you feel like you're in a cage in your life, and you feel like you know, other people are walking by, and they're looking at you like you're a caged animal, and you can't get out of the cage. You're envious of the people walking by, uh, kind of mocking you. That's the caged life where you, you feel like hopeless almost, right? The comfortable life is what most of us live in, where it's not so bad that we want to change, and it's not so good uh, either, though. So it's, we're just comfortable, it's status quo. But we just get up, we go to our job, we're not really fulfilled. We're just sort of like in this comfort zone. Uh, in, the, in the caged area, you know, we're, we're, we're not feeling happy at all. And then there's like the, quote, charged life. You know, I, I wake up every day with passion, and I'm charged to do the things I want to do. I, I'm living my authentic life, my authentic purpose. I, I'm willing to take risks. I'm willing to step outside my comfort zone. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm at the cause side of the equation, right? That's the, the charged life. Uh, and, and if you're, you know, if you, if you just look at your own life and think, what category am I in, then it, it's, a, it's a good exercise to reflect on and think, what can I do if I'm in the caged uh, life, basically, if I'm in that cage and I'm envious of everybody else, you know, the only person that puts yourself, put you in that cage is you. So you can let yourself out, right? So how do I, Mike, get out of that cage? And why is that, what did I do to put myself in that cage? And if you're comfortable, 
you know, there is the possibility that life could be much better. A lot of people, like, kind of have this fear that, you know, what if the grass isn't greener? Uh, and, and it's not always about if the grass is greener. From my perspective, it's about the journey you take to see if the grass is greener because that journey alone typically is what transforms you in some way. It makes you realize, you know, you you should have been more grateful for what you had or maybe it is actually greener. But that journey is what helps us grow. And then if you're already living like the, the charged life, then, then good for you. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think it's that transition of getting from the comfortable to the charged life that most people struggle with, though. That's right. That, that is a tough transition because, you know, if we're comfortable, uh, it's easy to stay comfortable. It's like, you know what, I, I have this routine where I come, I, I go to this job I hate, but I come home and I watch like three hours of TV and, you know, I, 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 I relax. So I have some sort of like stress relief and routine, but then the next day you repeat the same thing. The next day you repeat the same thing. And pretty soon, like 10 years have gone by and, and you've done something that hasn't, hasn't really like fulfilled you. And then you're like, well, I'm too old to do anything else. So you do it for another 10 years, and then pretty soon you die. It's like you, at some point you have to be willing to, to take a step or a leap of faith and, and make a change. Yeah. Not easy, though. It, no, it's, simple, not... <laughs> uh, it, it, it's simple, but not easy. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it sounds great. It, you know, sounds great until you mm-hmm. actually have to put the, the rubber to the road and make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. So... What are you? What are, what are you? What's the next thing you want? I mean, you obviously ran the business and wrote the book, and so what's what's next? What are your, your what's your big on the horizon? Something you want to do? Right now, I'm working on a course uh, on the seven step secure methodology I discussed in the book. I'm doing a course which I'll have a, a do it yourself course where you can go to my website and take the course, uh, you know, by yourself. The recorded videos and all the material will be there. I'll have a do with you where there'll be a group of people that take the course and I'll, I'll be there as well. And I'll have more of a, a private sort of offering for that too, where I'll, if a company wants uh, me to train their organization, then I'll, I'll take them to the, do it privately. So that's one endeavor I'm working on. The second one is my next book, which I just started a couple weeks ago. That's going to be a memoir. And uh, that's so far been, uh, it's going well. It's, you know, but it's a, very uh, cathartic experience, I think they say, uh, because I've had to like go back and look at all the mistakes I've made in my life and the things I've learned from them, uh, but relive a lot of those memories. So it's been pretty challenging, but I think it's uh, it's necessary to reflect on on things and realize how far you've come, uh, and not in in things you haven't overcome. You know, if you reflect on it, you, you can realize like where it's hindering your development or your growth. So this isn't necessarily a, a totally up your alley question, but it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. Um, well, obviously we're doing a, a live podcast, radio show, whatever the term is these days. I don't even know anymore. It seems like every time I turn around, somebody's throwing a new word on it. And this this space has kind of, I want to say exploded, but it just seems like it's probably exploded and then exploded again. I don't know. It's becoming a black hole. Oh, wait, that's probably not the best way to put that, but it kind of is. It kind of just seems like it's growing <laughs> infinitely as the internet matures right is this going to continue growing exponentially like this or is this event is there eventually the ends are going to start coming back towards you know what i'm saying like because right now i kind of have the big v on my arm so it just seems like it's growing wildly it, it's not going to sustain that is it i i don't think so i think a lot of people now uh have um there's, there's like a lot of noise out there and there's almost too much information for people. Uh, and with, with COVID, uh, in the, the pandemic of the past year, more people have like done things online. There's been more content created. There's been, you know, I'm kind of like sick of like, you know, like online events. I'm, I'm kind of like <laughs> tapped out of those things. Uh, but there's so much out there now where, you know, how much more can people actually produce, right? So I, I think a lot of people also, what I've, what I've noticed during COVID, a lot of people have returned to, like, nature, for instance. I think they've got sick of being in the house, sick of being online. 
So, you know, because I hike a lot and I go outdoors a lot. And nowadays, uh, the trails I used to go on where there's nobody there are, like, packed. Like, you know, and I used to travel to Ireland quite a bit this past year. And uh, when I first got there, you know, like a long time ago, like in February of last year, uh, there would be nobody hiking. And then towards the end of this year, uh, when I was there, like it would be so crowded on the trail, it's like not even worth hiking. There's no solitude anymore. So I think a lot of people are are getting sort of fed up with the the technology and the internet and all the online things and and, and want to start actually doing things in person again. Uh, so I think, you know, I don't know if we've hit like the apex uh, of things, but I think we're getting close to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this for me. I mean, I only do this show once a week, thank God, because I mean. The, the effort that I put in the once a week show is uh, tremendous, but I see people out there doing five, six, seven, eight. I mean, oodles. Of, I mean, I think you have to take time to consume other stuff too, besides just yeah. doing. But that's my two cents. I'll leave you out of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you you definitely have to take time to consume things. I I, I go through phases where uh, you know I'll take a course on Mind Valley. Uh, like I took the life book course, for instance, or a course on elevated consciousness or whatever. So there, there'll be periods in my life where I, I read a lot, I do a lot of courses, but then I always uh, assess like you know, my output. You know, what is my input versus the output? Because I feel like if I'm just absorbing things and I'm not producing something for somebody else, you know, what's what's the real point there? Or if I'm not integrating this into my life somehow. Uh, to in, you know increase my relationships or make them better in some capacity. What what's the point? So I always like evaluate how much I'm I'm taking in and how much I'm uh, you know outputting. If you're only outputting too, if you're only creating stuff and not taking anything in, you're sort of creating content in a vacuum. So you want to you know have a balance there really of what you're absorbing and what you're producing. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me how how connected we are, right? Or if we think we are, but how yeah. far apart we really are. Which there's no easy answer for that. I mean, I think you're right, though. I think we're going to see more, even more small, interactive, in-person type things, maybe than before, as people understand how valuable that was. Yeah, well, I think we'll certainly see a surge of that when... Uh you know, all this COVID stuff goes away. Cause even like me, we talked about Iron Man. Uh, I had three Iron Man events on the calendar last year and they all got like wiped off the calendar. Uh, my favorite band is Nightwish that I like, I literally bought a ticket for like almost every show last year. Cause, and, and all the shows were canceled and the, the bassist, uh, decided screw it and quit the band because he, they didn't tour all last year. So now if I see them this year, they're not going to be the same band I wanted to see last year, but I still, you know, I still want to go to the the concert. It's, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, we we take we take a lot of things for granted, and then when they're taken away, we realize uh, maybe we shouldn't take it for granted. So, take it for granted, yeah. Maybe, maybe you can help me with this. Why are people buying vinyl again? I'm confused by this. Why are people? Why are oh, people? I, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know about why people are buying vinyl. I didn't know that was a, a new thing. Is that a new thing? It, well, it is. I mean, I was at Walmart this afternoon, this evening, this afternoon, whenever that was, and there's a slew, there was probably a big, as big a selection of vinyl, new and some repopped, as there was CDs. It, it, it Walmart? Yeah. Like vinyl records? Vinyl records. Man, got to get you out of the cave once I, in a while. <laughs> I, I guess so. I'm going to have to check that out. You need like a... An actual record player to play it, don't you? Yeah, like the needle, a, the needle and everything. Like, like back in the day, like the <laughs> dust the one off in the basement. Wow, I, I, I didn't know that those were popular again. They're supposed to have a really good sound. Uh, I don't see how the sound can be better than modern technology. But yeah, maybe people are just uh, want to go back to like the basics, the analog stuff. See, yeah. I thought, I it goes thought... back to that, e, that. It goes back to the EMP we we're talking about. The EMP may not take take out the uh, the old record players, so you can still have music after all the digital stuff is taken out. Maybe <laughs> that's what it is. People are maybe, preparing. Maybe. <laughs> as, as they know I, something I, that I don't know. I need to go pick up mine. I was gonna say <laughs> immediately following this interview, he goes to Walmart and buys twelve albums. 
Why? Because they're there. Um, yeah, good point. I, oh man, I'm glad I, I'm glad I was able to bring you something new tonight because you know sometimes I wonder how <laughs> these things are actually going. But um, I'm you know, really I, curious. I'm have to go to Walmart tonight. They're open. 20, <laughs> they're open 24 hours during me to check it out. <laughs> oh boy, uh, no. So, but you're right though because if you lose your, if you lose, you know your. Spotify, whatever your password, you get hacked and you lose your music. You've lost your music. I've seen people talk right. about that, which is just, I mean, you, you think about losing a music playlist, it's one thing, but you got pictures and all this other stuff floating around, which are quote unquote priceless. I'm sure everybody has, uh, I mean, a number, but. Oh, man, that's. Scroll on the list here to make sure I got everything I want to get out of you. Um, oh, tell, me, tell people, get. Uh, the smartest person in the room, the root cause of and the new solution of cybersecurity. That's uh, available on Amazon and your website, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also available on Audible. Uh, I had Kaleo Griffith uh, narrate the book. He did uh, several popular books, uh, The Art of the Deal, I think that's Trump's, Donald Trump's book, as well as like Tim Ferriss's Tools of the Titans. So he's a professional narrator. I didn't do it myself. Which I'm glad he did. A really, he did a phenomenal job. I was gonna say, did you want to do it yourself? Well, did that ever cross your mind? Uh, it did, uh, but I'm not the expert in that area. And I thought, well, I'll see, get some samples of voice actors and and see what how they turn out. And I liked uh, his voice, and I liked the way he did it. Uh, and uh, it's actually very interesting because I, I listened to my own book you know, the past like week while I was driving back, you know, to various places. And because it wasn't me narrating it, it was somebody else. I learned a lot of things from my own book. <laughs> and I thought, man, I'm not being congruent with what I wrote about. So I need to like make sure I'm actually living, uh, you know, intentionally in the way in what I wrote about. So it's very, it's very interesting to hear, you know, your own words narrated by somebody else. It's, very, it's a very surreal experience. It has to be because I know when I try to listen to my show, I think, "Boy, what an idiot I sound like." So I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so we've got two minutes left, and I, I've saved this for last because I was talking to Chris Olson, the guy who writes my show notes for me, and he pointed out something in your show bio that made him laugh, or your, your bio on Twitter, which was spicy foods. Now I'm from Western Pennsylvania. Not necessarily known for the being the hotbed of spicy foods. So, help me out here. What are we talking about here? Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually looking in my kitchen. I have a, some hot sauce here called Spicy Lips. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, uh, I I like things spicy. Um, it, it doesn't really matter what it is. I, I like to put hot sauce on things. Um, uh, so, like tacos. I like tacos a lot. So, I always like to put you know really hot sauce on tacos. Uh, even if it's like sushi, I like to put you know hot stuff on sushi. It doesn't matter. I don't, I don't know why, but um, any food if if it's not spicy, uh, I, I kind of think it's bland. So if I have an option on a menu and there's something spicy, I like the star by it or the two or three stars, <laughs> I typically will get the spiciest thing. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's just a taste I've developed over the years, or I've like got so used to spice I can't taste bland food anymore. <laughs> I'm not sure, but yeah, spicy food uh, I is something that I really like. Um, yeah. And, and, and my, my girlfriend, she's a, a chef and she, she gets upset with me because she'll cook like this really great meal and I'll grab the hot sauce and, and, and <laughs> I've, I've learned my lesson <laughs> that if like a, a professional chef cooks you something, don't <laughs> before you taste it or even after you taste it, don't douse it with hot sauce. Because uh, that, that that's insulting to them, so, <laughs> so I've uh, learned my lesson with that that one. Well, Christian, I, I've enjoyed tonight's conversation being informative and a little lighthearted. So I hope you did too. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I like to keep it uh, loose and, and and fun. And when the when the next book comes out, we'll do it again. Yeah, awesome. That'd be perfect. All right. Have a good evening. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mal Report. 
Stay tuned for details on saving money at the Duck Pond Shop. I hope you enjoyed this report. Please subscribe so that you can join us again. And if you appreciate the show, leave us some stars or a review. For more notes from this show or other great shows, check out Mallard.com. A reminder, the views and opinions of the show are those of the host and guest and do not represent any sponsors, affiliates, or any other partners of the Mallard Report. Now for your money-saving tip. Promo code Mallard at checkout of DuckPondShop.com where you can get your t-shirt, coffee mug, and other great products. That's promo code Mallard at checkout, DuckPondShop.com. Until next week, stay safe and keep quacking. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.